a chance for the world's greatest instrument to take the spotlight it deserves. A fascinating journey into a very physical style of music. And a deeply emotive story told by a beautiful and haunting voice. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. Folks, welcome back to another edition of Themes and Variation. Today we're breaking down songs that made me want to practice. So these are tracks that you hear them and you just get so inspired that you can't help but grab your instrument and hit the woodshed. And joining myself and my frequent co-host Mejia today is our dear friend Ian Barnett. Ian is a remarkable producer and drummer. You can see him perform live when it's safe to do so, of course, with Marlon Kraft and Betty Who. He also produces under the name Mallow. His tracks are absolutely mind-bendingly sick, so be sure to check them out. Ian also happens to be one of our amazing Soundfly mentors, so if you're interested in working with him, be sure to drop us a line. I've known Ian for a long time. He's a really, really good friend. And uh, we met actually at Berkeley College Music. We were both studying there at the same time. And, you know, I figured that this kind of theme where we're digging into tracks that truly inspired us to, to get better at our instrument was really appropriate because Ian, as a drummer, every time I got the chance to play with him, it was that same feeling. I had to get better just to keep up. And he's one of those musicians that it's just been an absolute joy and pleasure to have been able to make music with. We get into all kinds of things on this episode, like the unbridled genius of Jaco Pastorius. Sometimes it's all right to not have any bass in your track. And one of the tracks featured in this episode comes from a style of music called footwork, which you may be familiar with thanks to artists like DJ Rashad, R.P. Boo, and even Chance the Rapper. Footwork's history and culture are truly a part of what makes it what it is. Though we don't go very deep into those things in our conversation, we'll make sure to include resources in our show notes. I'd like to encourage you to check those out after you listen to the episode. So on the Soundfly front, in our last episode, I mentioned that we had some incredible courses coming out this year. Well, we just released a brand new course, Intro to Music Production in Ableton Live. you hear a little bit more about the course later on in the episode, but I wanted to let you know it is taught by Ableton certified trainer and music technologist Claire Marie Lim. She is incredibly talented and just an absolute delight taking you through everything you could possibly want to know about making music in Ableton Live. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode, Songs That Made Me Want to Practice. Mahaya, 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 how are you doing, Mahaya? I'm doing well, Carter. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. The sun I'm is great shining. too. <laughs> That that person who's also great is our guest, Mr. Ian Barnett. How are you doing? I know you just mentioned how you're doing, but you know, give me some more. I'm doing really good here. I'm getting ready to go to uh, Turkey actually in about a week. Yeah, uh, that's exciting to go to go stay over there for a couple of months to see Serna. Yes. So I'm excited about that. And so it's a little hectic with everything, but doing doing good. Exciting news that you just broke to the world. Uh, Tension that, Turkey. Uh, I will be. <laughs> <laughs> Tension Turkey. Let's build. Yes, uh, and- <laughs> let's do it. Let's, get, let's cook. Is this going well so far? This is going great. This is going. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, I'm kind of nervous. 
This I'll is my first podcast. Much. It's 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 going about as well as I expected it to go. So <laughs> so so horrific. I'm having flashbacks to like our last year of college and remembering that the two of you are kind of a unit that's yeah. a little hard to break into. So wish me luck. Yeah, best um, of luck. But yeah, this is good. <laughs> yeah, we will make no quarter for for this episode. I don't apologize for my like friendship. Third wheel in this situation. <laughs> Um, so we are today, of course, talking songs that made you want to practice, songs that you heard and you just had to pick up your instrument. Ian, you're a drummer. Mahe, you're a keyboard player. These are principal instruments. I know you guys do more than that. Uh, but just on your instrument alone, like Ian, who are some drummers that you feel particularly inspired by today in Mahe, a keyboardist? Unlike the two of you, I don't think of myself as like a performer first or second or even third necessarily. Um... I mean, like Rubenstein from my classical days, like, you know, like um, there's old classical guys like that, that I always aspired to play more like. I went through a big Fiona Apple phase for a while. That and like Regina Spector and Ben Folds might um, register a little more for me because they're songwriters who use their piano or keyboard as like a vehicle for telling a story. This feels like a clinic question, like who who are the drummers you like? But just to get a sense, because you guys both, not to bury the lead too much, but you both pick songs that, like Ian, I, I can feel yours directly influence your playing for sure. But hey, I'm definitely curious, like yours <laughs> and like how it how it affected your practice, but you didn't pick like, like you didn't There's pick no something by a drummer. or keyboard on, yeah. Yeah, I, I picked like, this is a bass player doing bass things. Um, and that's very obvious, I think, who I selected by the time we get to it. But yeah, Ian, drummers that, that maybe you feel particularly inspired by now or even, you know, back in your your more youthful days. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's kind of interesting about and sort of why I chose this track is that more and more production started to influence my drumming, even more so right. sometimes than, than real drummers. So a lot of producers, mm. and that kind of started back around when I I was in high school and I started listening to Flying Lotus, a lot of stuff on the mm. Brain Feeder label, Hudson Mohawk. Um, and a lot of those people just, I, I had never really, I was not really coming from an electronic background. So, so when I heard that stuff, it really, like, I was just like, what the hell is this? Like, this is like nothing I've ever heard in my life, you know? Like, I remember hearing Flying Lotus, uh, Los Angeles. I'm just suddenly realizing that for as long as I've known you, I like our friendship might be more surface level than I thought it was because I have no idea how you came to music. What did you play before you started, before Berkeley, I guess? I was listening to Blink-182. I was listening to a lot of nice. uh, like screamo and emo. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I can kind of see that, I guess. And is that, when did you start playing drums? I don't even know that. I think when I was like 13, maybe when I was in middle school. I just remember we went to the, a drum shop and my dad went there and he was like we're not going to get any drums like don't get excited <laughs> and then we came back with a drum set because like he played drums so like i think he just wanted to have a drum set <laughs> that's yeah. awesome um I'm, I'm ready to listen to some tracks if you guys are let's go Thank you. 
We're listening, of course, to Jaco Pastorius's Portrait of Tracy. This track, I think, unequivocally and unparalleled to me is the most beautiful thing played on the electric bass. There's so much to it. I want to I want to dive right in, though, to like how I discovered this track. I started getting a degree in like Bachelor of Arts before I actually went and did music. Uh, I withdrew from all that. I flamed out miserably <laughs> from that degree because I started taking music more seriously. But I was in a music appreciation class uh, as a part of that degree. And I just remember some kid in the class, we got to talking and I was like, oh, I'm a bass player. And I hadn't been playing for very long. He's like, oh, do you, do you know Jocko Pastorius? And I had never heard the name before. So just hearing those words together, I, I didn't even know what he had said. It was like, is that a person? Is that like, what? what is that? I assumed he was French. He's definitely not. He sounds nothing like he's from like Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, so for me, like that day, I remember that, that, that this guy was like, oh, you got to listen to Jocko. You got to listen to Jocko. I went to the HMV, which I think is just was a Canadian. Was HMV? It's English. I'm pretty All sure right. it's British and you well, guys we had just... them. We had them everywhere. So I went to the, the HMV downtown Edmonton and I found the record. It's just him and his turtleneck. Very handsome. <laughs> guy in a handsome album cover just arms folded and his name it's a it's a very elegant looking record uh i bought it put it in the cd player of my 92 firebird <laughs> at the time and this wasn't the first thing that 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 hit me that the first track is donna lee <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. I'd never heard Charlie Parker before. I had really not listened to jazz. I didn't understand it. But like the facility on the inside, I'd never heard that before. After that track, you know, there's Come On, Come Over, super funky track. Uh, like he's got his 16th note, uh, that ghost note kind of thing that he's really known for. He's known for a few different techniques, but that being one of them. Then you have Carew, Speak Like a Child, uh, which is featuring Herbie Hancock. Amazing track. Then Continuum, which I really got into. That's the first time I heard harmonics on a bass. And then you have this track. This came out, I think, in 1976. I'm listening to it in 2006 for the first time. And it's still like so mind-bendingly revolutionary to hear 30 years later. There's basically two ways uh, to create a harmonic on a stringed instrument. You have your natural and your artificial. A lot of this track uses natural harmonics. That's really just where you're using your fret hand to gently press against the string and then pluck. Artificials, though, exist as well, where you are using your fret hand and then your pinky finger will maybe slide a little bit down. So you're really shortening the scale of the bass and then you're using your pinky finger to lightly touch after the note that you're fretting to get a harmonic out and create a harmonic. So like you're shortening the length of, of the neck, which is what you're doing when you're playing any string instrument anytime you fret. Blah, 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 blah. A lot of technical, technical jargon. My favorite thing is this, this moment. When I think of, okay, what is the one... You got you got five seconds to show me the most beautiful thing on the bass. It's this. So the combination of fretted notes and harmonics at the same time um, are just like unbelievably mind blowing. It's got a very classical guitar feel to it. I was listening to this on the YouTube channel, by the way, and someone was saying that they like 
sprained their pinky because of, of some stretch they had to make during this. Do you know which moment that would have been, Kurt? Yeah, I know exactly where it is. It's the first artificial harmonic. He's fretting on the second fret with his index finger and then stretching to the sixth with which is pinky which i can do no problem so maybe this was a child that was trying to play it and you've always always been known to have really flexible pinkies though (laughs) yeah really good fingers that is my that's my go it's been on my business card for a long time yeah carter flexi pinky lee over here slot him into any situation playing wise and he would just lock in he was one of those guys too that was like able to swing super hard on the electric bass which is pretty hard to do but here to me in this piece where it's very fluid and free-flowing there is still a lot of time it's not totally rubato and in this moment he really locks in it's just unbelievable one of the things that blew my mind when i just heard this track for the first time was uh just the absolute like intention behind every note you can hear the fingers on the fretboard, the fingers, strings, and wood, and you can just tell how much tone. Like you think about, well, how do you like how do you get a good tone on 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 any instrument? Whether it, it doesn't matter, but to me, on bass, it has not very much to do with the strings. Not the strings, not the bass, not the amp. It's like all it literally is all in your fingers. It's the the years of what you learn to play, how you learn to attack a note, how you learn to get the most out of it. And yeah, Ian, you hit it right on the head. It's like you're hearing that intention in every single note that he played. Great players on any instrument will sound like themselves, whether you whether it's a bass player that only plays, like if Pino Palladino plays a fretless, you're still going to know it's Pino Palladino. Hmm. That's the thing that separates, and that's the point I'm trying to make, I think, is that where gear doesn't matter as much is that you can put... And you can put Jocko, give him a, a rowing oar with like some strings attached to it. And it's <laughs> going to sound like Jocko Pastorius. It doesn't matter. The gear obviously changes just like what you're working with, but on a deep level, yes. it doesn't change. Mm. I, I mean, you're always going to be unique to your, yeah. like whatever you're playing. And I think, it's, it's I think drummers this, are really used yeah. to that too, because like drummers have to be used to playing bad drum <laughs> sets all the time. And like, <laughs> yeah, 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 there. yeah. You're not going to be carting your drum set around too much. So. What I learned specifically from this song, there are a few things. Harmonics, obviously, we've talked about them enough. I think I'm going to save people from too much more harmonic talk. Musicality, Jocko is known for his ability to shred. We've already talked about all this, but like his ability to just play a song and and be so musical on his instrument Mm -hmm. uh, to me is unbelievable. Finding your own voice, though, would be, I think, the biggest thing. When I first got to, to university and was studying music, um, my teacher at the time, he'd call it a Jocko clone. You know, like when he was starting to play, he learned all the Jocko stuff and sounded just like Jocko. When I was starting to play and get better, he saw that in me as well. And he's like, hey, just like he pulled me aside and be like, that's awesome that you can play that. But just be very careful. You know, you don't want to be just a clone of somebody else's playing. I didn't get it at the time. Everyone starts off trying to imitate to some degree. But then, there, yeah, there comes a time where it's like, you got to make sure that you're spending time in your practice sessions where you just set aside some time to go, what do I, what kind of player am I? Just have fun, experiment, and like yep. come up with something unique on your own. Hey, Maya, what are you up to? Just toning my skills with Soundfly's newest course, Intro to Music Production in Ableton Live. You mean it's out? You know it. 
and it's a fantastic resource for learning to create music using one of the most versatile and innovative digital audio workstations on the market. Speaking of innovation, isn't Live 11 coming out sometime soon? It is indeed, my friend. And Intro to Music Production in Ableton Live even includes a sneak peek at some of its new features. You can definitely go through the course with an older version of the program too, though. And does it have the kind of in-depth explanations, engaging activities, and practical suggestions I've come to expect from Soundfly? It sure does. Plus, whether you choose to go through it on your own, via the subscription, or with the guidance of a personal Soundfly mentor, the online Slack community will be ready to support you along the way. Wow, this sounds like a great way to get going on some of my musical goals for 2021. Is there anything else I should know? Just that, if they'd like to become subscribers, listeners of this show should go to soundfly.com and use the code THEMES at checkout. That way, they'll get a major discount. That's THEMES in all caps, right? Yep. Fantastic. I'll be sure to let them know. While you're at it, would you mind reminding them that Soundfly's mission is to help musicians make meaningful progress on their learning and creative goals? I can definitely do that, Mejia. In fact, I have a feeling they already know. Thanks, Carter. All right, I'll let you get back to the show. And I'll let you get back to intro to music production in Ableton Live. So this track has been sampled a few times, uh, rightfully so. Um, I want to want to check some of these out real quick with with you guys. Um, the first one, of course, is SWV's track "Rain." This next sample of Portrait Tracy is Chingy featuring Tyrese <laughs> pulling me back. This track, yo, this track is sick. into here man this is who we be by cake dog off of his album menace in the phantom i knew i wanted to do something from this album i think because just the way that he programmed the drums it's really sporadic it's really kind of frantic feeling but to me mm -hmm. it grooves really hard there's a lot of syncopation and a lot of offbeat stuff happening there Like as a drummer, it's it's kind of easier to play things like that when you have something, going back to the anchor, you have something that you're relating it to. So if you have like eighth notes in the hi-hat and then you're playing, you know, or whatever you want to do. Right. When you just have the sample playing and just all this space and he's just like picking out these notes, that becomes much harder. So that like kind of blows my mind and it also creates these opportunities for like these interjections of like 
a statement to be made because there's this like disjointed pulse happening on the drums that might be kept by like this in this case the snare drum you know i never heard anything like that before i started listening to footwork where it's just like the snare drum kind of like keeping this weird fragmented pulse and then he has like the hi-hats come in you hear a moment where there's like a reverse symbol and it goes and it's like these statements that happen every now and then on the drums and the sample is more what is typically, if you're going to be, say, you know, typically, quote unquote, the drums are known for. It's like the drums are there to play that groove and let everyone else kind of do their thing over it. And in this case, it's like the sample just plays out and the drums are like, you know, the poetry. It flips out on his head, right? It's, it's Alicia Keys sample, right? The From Nobody Not Really. Ian, is a footwork track. What is footwork music? I was thinking I should probably like cover that at some point. I, I discovered footwork. I actually had a friend of mine who, his name's Clark. Um, he's really an instrumental person in my like, production career, like beat making. But he showed me some footwork stuff when I was at Berkeley. And I was just like, what the hell is this? Like, I was like, yeah, okay, this is weird, dude. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't listen to this. Years later, I was in a sprinter van on tour with Betty Who. And, you know, you've been on tour, there's a lot of, lot of downtime. So, you know, I went back in like Facebook messages and I was just scouring my phone to stay, you know, <laughs> not be bored, basically. And I came across some message of some video he sent me by DJ Nate. I remember it to this day. I listened to it and I was just like, oh my God, like, this this is insane and i for whatever reason at that point in time it just clicked for me and yeah. i listened to and then i went to dj rashad and i was just so hooked i was like i felt like i was like had discovered some truth i was just like this is the answer <laughs> you know i was like this this just i like related to it's so hard for some reason i was yeah. like these are really like in your face heavy drums that are like fast but they, they groove really hard and they're like there was just something about it that spoke to me for sure and I should say like footwork music started in Chicago and it is a dance battle music. Sick. So if you go on YouTube and t type in Chicago footwork dance battle, you're going to, you're going to see what I'm talking about here. What are some characteristics that, that you would pin on footwork music? Yeah. Well, it's, it's heavily uh, sample based a lot of times, although it's not always sample based. I think one of the main characteristics is the sub. Um, there's these, this like hum that footwork tracks have and this um these certain rhythms that the drums do a lot a, one one really common rhythm that i've taken away from footwork and you hear a lot which is like kind of uncommon because you're very used to footwork one rhythm that i like had to learn it was it was just move that last uh note over a 16th note it almost sounds like it's a triplet but it's like but then they play it really, really fast. So it's like, da, 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 da. it's like perpetual motion on the drums, right? Cause it feels something that could be unsettling, but it's not like there is a, a locked in and it just gets you like, I'm, my hands are shaking. Like you just get fired up listening to yeah, it. It's, it's battle music. Is there, is there a mellow track that you would associate most closely with, with this track specifically? 
I put out an album kind of recently on my band camp called Recognize Gods, and there's a track on there mm-hmm. that's called Uppercut. That I mean, a lot a lot of my footwork music is is influenced by Cake Dog, but that one might be something that you could like hear pretty clearly. Swing it and get your uppercut. Swing it and get your uppercut. I think playing wise, um, this is this is gonna be selfish, but when you played on the the Tiger Speak Live record, the outro drum solo of of RDC to me has like you could hear it's not footwork, but it's like there's an influence there. Like you can hear that. One thing that's kind of cool about Cake Dog's stuff that he does a lot is that he has the sample play out for a while and it plays out for the majority of the track and at the end of the track, a, a different sample comes in and it's often like very contrasting. So at the very end of that, you hear this really, I think it's like a string sample or something. It's like really beautiful sample. So he has that where it feels more, the energy's building up and then something like drops and it's like essentially you're in like a new, new room, you know? I like that you picked a song in a genre that is so tied into dance. Because this, this is a conversation I've had with many people, not on this podcast, but just, you know, historically, music hasn't been separate from dance in a lot of cultures and a lot of communities. And that's a weird thing that we do now, where people listen to music so passively, you know? One thing, I used to DJ some footwork stuff here in Brooklyn and, and like, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, it's not something people are used to. And I actually used to project footwork dance battles behind me. And, and that really makes a difference. Like people were like checking it out. They were interested yeah. all of a sudden. It, it's it's bizarre, but it makes, the music makes much more sense. If you want to get into footwork, you must watch lots of dance battles. When we thought about having you on the, the podcast, it was like, I hope we do a footwork track. Because I don't, I know it was something you're into for a while. Uh, and obviously listening to the Mallow stuff, there it's you, you're doing it your own way, but there, you can tell that there are certainly influences there. And I don't know anything about the genre, so it was really, really cool. Yeah, you know, to... n- no one really does. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's both. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it would be cool if more people knew about it. It, it. It's I can imagine listening to this. And if you remember earlier in the conversation, I said I was one of these people. I was like, I don't get it. But I can imagine people listening to it and just thinking like, this is just like really repetitive and kind of aggressive. And I don't. It's it's annoying. A lot of people kind of don't like it, but. If you watch the, the dance battle, it makes more sense. And I also just love the fact that Cake Dog approaches it from this different angle where you really can like listen to it and there's so much to to choose from. When I first heard Footwork, I think that you, I'm sure it was you that hit me to something. And it might have been uh, a Cake Dog track. It might have been this track. I don't remember. 
I don't think I was opposed to it at all, but I don't think I went out and listened to a ton of it right away. Yeah, There's yeah. a through line. Like, I love knowledge. I think we, you and I can agree with Hell that yeah. kind of beat making. and Talking and about, like, that. the juxtaposition between, like, harsh, like, rap vocals and yeah. beautiful soul samples. That's knowledge. that that make you feel not grounded at all but there is something you're grounded in i got that from from listening to footwork stuff and i also was like into i was into kind of drum and bass like and where that was meeting with jazz and it has there's a lot of differences between the genres but it has that constant propulsion at about 100 like 140 to 170 beats per minute and to, for whatever reason usually 160 i don't know the tempo of this tune uh so don't quote me on like oh carter it was like 150 95 percent of footwork music is at 160 bpm it's like Whoa. only at Not one like tempo. 162 like it's just Some, sometimes sometimes it is it's no, no hard and fast rule but it's just like that is typically where literally every single footwork track is at i mean that makes sense well, there's like the whole psychology of tempo thing, right? So I feel like 160 feels like a tempo where that sort of aggression could live. Exactly. Like, what is it like 120 is supposed to be perfect for shopping because you stroll casually, but you get out of the store. Like That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly correct, though. It's like that's where that energy can live, like yeah. in that tempo range. So that's a, that that's a very cool sense. thing about footwork, which is like also kind of just funny to me. I love that. That's again, like the fact that it comes from dance and like a function, not just like, yeah, it would sound cooler faster, but like this serves a purpose at a higher tempo. Let's do that. That's awesome. Shadow settle on the place that you left. Our minds are troubled by the emptiness. Destroy the middle, it's a waste of time From the perfect start to the finish line And if you're still breathing, you're the lucky ones Cause most of us are heaving through Alright, Mahal, what are we listening to? Um, we are listening to the song Youth by uh, Daughter have you guys heard the song before? I listened to it today for the first time a couple of times, and it's, it's a really great song. I was actually curious, like as a drummer, what your thoughts on it were. Well, I like the drums because they're what's needed, but I, I was more blown away by the vocals and the lyrics yeah. Yeah, on first listen. I think there is a certain type of singer, and I'm very drawn to this type of voice, where they obviously have control, but there's a vulnerability. You yeah. know, it's like something could go wrong. <laughs> But it's like a, a narrator yeah. or a protagonist in a book or a movie. They're not interesting if you feel like nothing's going to happen that's unexpected. There's something about a breathy voice where you're like, the voice could crack. They could miss the note. You just feel emotionally invested in the performance. You're looking at this track then from a vocalist perspective, and it makes you want to practice. I'm not. I don't think I have a vocalist perspective to offer, to be honest. That's okay. At first, I was going to go in a direction that was a little more similar to the two of you and pick something that is very clearly like my instrument, <laughs> somebody playing a better version of my instrument. 
So I, I did think about Bill Evans in particular, The Peacocks, which isn't one of his compositions, but is incredible, incredible, incredible. I thought about Alicia Keys actually quite a bit because she's the first singer songwriter pianist I ever saw live as a little child and was like, oh my gosh, I can write songs and play piano. That's loud. Several classical pieces where I'd have to pick the piece and then find the performer, like Chopin's Revolutionary Etude and stuff like that. I realized those were all performances that, that made me appreciate my instrument, that made me want to be better at it, but didn't actually like create that fire where it's like, I can no longer stand here and listen to this. I need to go find my instrument immediately, you know? Mm-hmm. I think Ollie Rockberger, when I saw him perform for the first time, like I had that very like, I don't even know if I can stay at this show to the last song because I need to get home and just play. But honestly, I find that songs that don't include piano or keyboard in an obvious way speak to me more because it come, becomes less about me comparing the way I play to the way they play. A song like this that is just so driven by emotion inspires me to just kind of create and not practice in a heady way, like just to play my instrument. And I find that that's where I actually make the most progress a lot of the time. It's almost like when it's something that's not in your realm as much, it's just easier to listen as a fan and like yeah. distance yourself yeah. from it. Because I think we all have those feelings where we're like, damn, this is sick, but I can't help but like think about myself and compare it to this. Right. Yeah. I mean, you picked a track with no bass in it again. So that's, <laughs> you guys are two for three on that, which is fair because I picked a track that was only bass in it. So yeah, there's more than enough for all three. I think what I like about this track so much is that it doesn't feel like it's trying too hard. It's got that vulnerability, like you said, but it feels really genuine and it, it's not trying to be something that it isn't. Yeah. It's very honest. You know, everybody has their own reason for playing music and being drawn to it. And in my headier moments, I like to think that mine is, um, you know, storytelling and connection. Music can help us better understand ourselves and each other and all of that. Um, I think that there are definitely times when I like listening to something very chopsy or I like listening to something very aspirational. But on an emotional and human level, that music doesn't always do it for me. Whereas a song like this, that is simple elements built on top of each other to create something amazing, that just kind of speaks to like human nature <laughs> in a very emotional, I feel like there's something I need to express and music is the way that I want to express it kind of way. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of tracks that I love that I, uh, I'm curious to hear if you two have this, that I <laughs> genuinely am like, I'm like very touched by it, but to the point where like I kind of like can't listen to them that often. Yeah. And there's like there's really got to be a moment where I'm able to to listen yeah. to them because otherwise it's going to take me into some zone where I'm going to be staring out the window for the next two hours <laughs> thinking about what things I could have been. Oh, this is one of those for sure. You listen to it one time like, well, that's going to yeah. do it for the year. I'll come back to this next year. You, know? you might have like found the reason, the true reason why we picked all these songs. Like it, it, it these are all songs that made us want to practice. But like, why did they make us want to practice? Mm. Portrait Tracy did that for me. 
that exact feeling. Even when I'm listening to it now, it's like, like it's like rewatching a great film, yeah. which I don't rewatch films really at all, unless it's like truly, truly like I have to. It takes a toll, <laughs> and but for a song to be able to do that in like four minutes is incredible. The yeah. song I picked definitely had that for me, so I think I yeah. think you discovered something. Thanks, totally. man. Nice. I'm a bit of a discovery. Guy. Yeah, well, nice one, Magellan. <laughs> People say that about me. What you're saying about like not being able to listen to it. I will listen to this song on repeat regularly. We don't want to make people not listen to these songs. Go run those numbers up. It has like 300 million views. <laughs> yeah. So let me just ask you guys this. You have the title. You have a couple listens of the song. What do you think this song is about? I don't think this is just like a breakup song. I think that there's probably more going on. I know that you're going to explain to me why there's more going on. <laughs> Um, I'm assuming Ian, like, I, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are lyrically. We don't think about this stuff as much. Like we, we think well, about you're speaking for Ian. Maybe he does. <laughs> no, I, I do think about it sometimes when, when it, <laughs> when it compels me to, I guess the lyric that hit me the hardest on the first couple of listens was, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, heaving through corrupted lungs. Cause most of us are heaving through corrupted lungs setting fire to I, I, I think like vocals writing vocals lyrics is it's a very fragile thing one word could make or break a phrase totally. she managed to pull that stuff off like i said it was so genuine so i mean i think that there are times when a song is incredible because of the music and there's times when a song is incredible because of the lyrics, you know, where it's like poetry and then we kind of set it to music. Um, I think that there are songwriters and I think she's one of them who can make both the music and the lyrics better for having each other. It's easy for lyrics to get like cheesy and overdone, especially when you think about things like rhyme. One thing the song does that I love, there's a bunch of slant rhyme instead of perfect rhyme. Like instead of having it's a waste of time, blah, 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 rhyme. She rhymes time with um, finish line, things like that. Mm. You get that expectation and that payoff. Yeah. But not quite in the way you expected, um, which ties into the fact that this is very much a coming of age song. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we want things to be perfect and we want them to be clean. And whether we're talking about songwriting or growing up, that's just not always the case. Collecting names of the lovers that went wrong the lovers that went wrong can i take a stab at going deeper on my thought lyrically because if sure. anything this will be hilarious because i'm not i'm terrible at this but no don't say that that's the wrong place to start from to me that line about you know i i and writing down the names of lovers that we've wronged or have wronged us or that wronged us, something like that, right? To me, what I'm getting from that is how kind of nonsensical, like when you're a kid and, you, and you're not a kid, but like a teenager or somebody coming of age and you have a relationship that, that ends and it feels like it's the end of the world, man. Like this is the mm -hmm. end of my life. This is, this sucks. This is like the worst thing ever, but you're like, like, dude, you're like 16 years old. Like, this doesn't matter at all in the grand scheme of things, but it feels like it matters so much more than it actually does. I, I could be way off here, but no. that's maybe a, an interpretation that uh, that I got from it. I think that's a good that's a good interpretation. 
You know, for me, a lot of it always comes down to the question of um, intention versus interpretation. And I think while you're writing, intention matters. Like know exactly why you're making the choices you make, whether it's in your rhythmic figures or the fact that you used the word burgundy instead of the word red. You know, like know why you did it. But once you've put it out into the world, if it speaks to somebody in a way that is different from what you expected, that's just something you have to accept, in my opinion. So I'm of the mind no interpretation is ever wrong. <laughs> if it hit you, it hit you, you know? Um, we could get into all the, all the theories that I have and that other people have for all these different lines, uh, like heaving through corrupted lungs, like, you know, starting smoking cigarettes when you're young and stuff like that, that edgy dangerous feeling but but yeah i i think mm. like some of these lines are so beautiful and so poetic and you can think forever in a lifetime that you know exactly what she meant but even if you even if you did know exactly what she meant that's not to say it would mean the same thing to you and your experience as a person you yeah, know and, and also mm -hmm. they stand they stand alone like any yeah. line stands alone and can be its own thing so it's cool that it tells a story and that's kind of open for interpretation on some level. And then there's also there's these lines that you can spend time thinking about that might hit you in a different way. Yeah. And on different days and, and almost like the whole idea of like this being you growing up, like this song means something different to me now in my early 30s than it did a couple of years ago in my late 20s. You know, just I've lived differently. I think this is a song that is a great example of making good use of a bridge and not just having a bridge because you're like, yeah, things should change at this point. Like the bridge actually, in my opinion, should really be the climax or um, the twist. Anyway, I could get into like what works about this song for forever and ever. The choices of what she repeats and what she doesn't is um, worth dissecting on its own. But the things that I really wanted to get into here. So, Ian, as a drummer, how do you feel about like an auxiliary floor tom? Oh, I mean, I'm totally, I like it. Yeah, no, it's, like I said, it, I think it's, it's what it needs. And at the same time, if you were going to take that to a live setting, there's so much you could do. There's something about a floor tom that just really makes me think of drum circles and that sort of thing mm -hmm. in a way the rest of the kit doesn't. Um, but yeah, I think it works well here. I like that it just stops at times and it forces you to listen to the lyrics and to think about what you just heard. Um, space is, is a tool that not enough um, composers and songwriters use, in my opinion. I have whole songs that don't even have anything. <laughs> you and John Cage, right? the two of you. The second track of my album is just seven minutes. It's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you guys remember a specific moment in your life where you felt you were the most dedicated to practice and what <laughs> what that was like prepping for college auditions just like time-wise that's yeah that's when i see most dedicated i'd say maybe a couple of years ago which puts me at a few years out of college the dots started to connect on things that i had known all my life and things that i had like read about in college 
Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of graduated from that sophomore way of thinking about music. <laughs> so I loved it the most a couple of years ago. It's funny because I think most people would probably immediately just think about like hours practiced. There's times in my life where I've been, I played the most drums every day. Yeah. And that may have been like college. I've always practiced a lot, to be honest. Actually, it was probably last year. I think I, I played crazy amounts of drums, practicing technique and stuff like that. But um, I feel like I also am just much more thoughtful about mm. what I'm trying to do with music now. And, and I would consider that a form of dedication too, I guess. Like something that you should work on is uh, just thinking about like what you're trying to accomplish and like what you're really trying to do. Because that in and of itself could be quote unquote practicing. About you, Carter. Uh, for me, yeah. I mean, I took a year off between finishing at Grant McEwen and and then going to Berkeley. That year was really, really important in my development. Um, I haven't practiced like that since. I don't think I ever will practice like that again because, like Ian, what you're saying, like just having more time to think about, you know, like I'll be able to pick up a bass, I think, for the rest of my life and get around on it because of the time I spent already. There's there's good and bad practice. Yeah, twelve 100%. hours a day, and what are you really doing? I think the music school thing is interesting too, right? The three of us all have that in common, and it sounds like like Ian, you and I at least had like our moment of <laughs> inspirational reckoning after the fact. I think there's something about knowing and deciding what you're going to practice on your own for yourself, and that point at which you no longer have somebody saying this is what I want you to practice, where the practice matters on a deeper level. Yeah, 100%. I think like I am a bass player, but it's not the only part of my identity. A lot of musicians could learn that like you're not just what yeah. you do. I'm you're happier. So I'm happier the person. more that I don't um, think of myself as a musician. Yeah, the guy who plays drums. You're human, and you're a, a vehicle for a story, and the medium you're choosing to tell it yeah. through happens to be the drums. Yeah. If all you're thinking about is music, the story you have to tell isn't that interesting. So no matter how like chopsy you get. You don't actually have that much to say if you're not just being a person as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mr. Ian Barnett, what uh, what do you got coming down the pipeline that uh, listeners might be stoked to to check out? Obviously, you're producing music. Uh, I released a couple albums last year. Or is it this year? I think it's this year. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I think I released a couple albums this year. Yeah. <laughs> so check those out. One is called Distilled and one is called Recognize Gods. Mm-hmm. And um, I also want to, I just put out a, put up a website. It's ianbarnett.net. So you can go there and find like all my discography and stuff. And uh, nice. it's very, very exciting. Very exciting. Nice. Check out like Betty Who and Marlon Craft. Um, Both incredible. This, this virus thing calms down and we can get out and play a lot more. Those are going to be some unbelievable first shows. <laughs> yeah. Your show might be the first show that somebody's seen in years, you know? For some babies, it'll be the first live music they've ever experienced. <laughs> you have babies at your shows, right? That's a thing for you? That's my main demographic, <laughs> yeah. And are you and Surma planning to make some music in Turkey? Well, I'd say this. Go check out check out my collaborations with her. One is called 24 Hours and one is called yeah. um, On. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we'll do more collabs and things like that. I was just telling her we should do something at some point again because those Sick. turned out really well. That's awesome. So. And that's going to do it for another episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. We want to know the songs that made you want to practice. So as always, there is a link to a Spotify community playlist in our show notes. Feel free to add your selections there.
Once again, remember to check out Soundfly's brand new course, Intro to Music Production in Ableton Live. And as a very special treat, we're going to play this episode out with an excerpt from the Mallow, aka Ian Barnett track, Dream Chasing. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme. Chasing.